or those of you that haven't been around for a while, uh, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is our series, and as a church, what our usual pattern is, is to take a book of the Bible and go through it consecutively, and hear what God's Word is saying to us through a book of the Bible. And we've been going through 1 Corinthians, and we're going through 1 Corinthians rather sort of big passage by big passage, and then we came to a sort of a slowdown when we've come to a mini-series, well, it's actually become a bigger series, but a series within the series in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are about spiritual gifts. And in the middle of, 13, uh, middle of 12 and 14 is 13, and 13 is where we've been uh, for the last uh, few weeks. And, and 13, as we've been learning, although it is on the subject of love, it is very much linked to the subject of uh, spiritual gifts. This chapter is not isolated. Chapter 13 is not isolated. Chapter 13 is not just the wedding chapter. Chapter 13 is central, and love is central to Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 starts with Paul stating he doesn't want the Corinthians to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, and this is so important for them, and it's so important for us now. And chapter 12 lays the foundation and explains more about the spiritual gifts who have been there. We've we've looked at that. And at the end of chapter 12, chapter 13 is introduced, and it's introduced with these words, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The Corinthians were, were obsessing, and the Corinthians were concerned, the Corinthians were abusing spiritual gifts. And as Apostle Paul lays the foundation in 12, he comes to 13, and before 13 he says, and I will show you the more excellent way. And the more excellent way is all about love. It is all about love. And that's where we come to, and that's how we come into the chapter, and we come into this chapter 13. Uh, And our chapter uh, 13 gives us uh, and and builds us uh, and shows us uh, what uh, love is. It starts... uh, No, can you somehow get that to work for me? And you'll need that as well. Thank you. Chapter 13 has, 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 I just want to overview it and take it through. Verses 1 to 3 give us the essential nature of love and contrast love with spiritual gifts and say that if we haven't got love, it is as nothing. And so this essential nature of love is brought to the attention of the Corinthians. And then as the essential nature of love is brought to the attention of the Corinthians, there's a definition of, of what love is that's given to the Corinthians in those verses uh, 4 through to 7. 4 through to 7 highlight what love is. And, and we, we saw this not just as a, as, as a sentimental, mushy feeling about love, but we saw this as what it really is meant to be. This is a mirror. Paul was holding up a mirror to the Corinthians and saying, Corinthians, look at this. Have you got love like this? Is this what your love is? Is it kind? Is it Uh, patient? Does it envy? Does it boast? 
Is it arrogant? And, and so we were being taught that this is what we need to do. We need to hold this up, this mirror against our love. And then Paul flips back to the spiritual gifts and, and contrasts them to love in verses 8 to 12, where we've been in the last few weeks. And, and, and we're seeing how the, the, the spiritual gifts end. And, and we see how they, they are limited. And we see how there is, uh, that they're not superior. There are limitations to them. And, and verse 13 comes to this fact that there is a superiority with love. A superiority with love. So now faith and hope and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And so this is, this is a verse where we want to be this morning. This is the verse where we're hoping to go. And, uh, and so we see this, this, this limitation. And in this limitation last week, we, we then moved from the limitation of, of spiritual gifts. And last week we focused down on to, to another subject. And, and in the context of this limitation, the context of spiritual gifts coming to the end, we, we asked the question, are the partial spiritual gifts of, of verse 10 still relevant now? And we saw there's different ideas to this question. There's different opinions. But as we looked into God's Word, I, 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 I tried to set out this premise. And this premise is that the extraordinary gifts have ceased to be normative. Now, I want to emphasize the word normative. I'm not saying they ceased entirety. No, absolutely not. They're, they're not normative. They're not the norm. They're not something that they are to be grasped or thought of in the same way as what they were in the New Testament. And, I, and I've come to this conclusion and uh, as, as a church, as a, as a leadership. This is the conclusion we've come to. And, and the main reasons we came to this is because... The, the role, the New Testament role, the Old Testament role of apostles and prophets has finished. The apostles had a particular role to do. Their role was to bring the foundation of the church to bear. And they had this role that they were to do, and when they spoke, they spoke authoritatively, and their words have been authoritatively recorded for us in God's Word. And as a point of order to help them to be established in what they did, and for people to realize the authority they had, God gave them these extraordinary gifts and these signs and these wonders which were a sign of the apostles' authority. And so as there's no longer apostles and prophets, these extraordinary gifts are no longer needed in that sense. And so we have the complete God's Word, which is everything that we need for salvation and sanctification. There is no need of extra revelation. There is need for the revelation to be explained. There is need for the revelation to be opened up. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us through His Word, but we do not need any new words because we have all the Word of God that we need. It is complete. And as we tracked through these extraordinary gifts, as we tracked through the signs and wonders of the New Testament, we noticed that they were greatly there at the beginning. And then they just petered out, it seemed. And as we see that in the, the, the New Testament, we also see that in church history. 
the first 1,900 years of church history is not marked with extraordinary signs and wonders and those spiritual gifts. And there's a total lack of teaching about the extraordinary gifts in the pastoral epistles. We're told we need elders, we're told we need deacons, we're told we need preachers, but those roles and the extraordinary gifts are not there and not taught about. And right now we can see horrendous spiritual abuse, financial abuse, that flourishes in situations where leaders see themselves as authoritative. They take a role that is not theirs and abuse it. And tragically now that the signs and the wonders that we see are very, very different to what's laid out for us in the New Testament church. And and so last week, I went into much more detail, and if you're not sure about this, I'd encourage you to go back there and and to to read and study, uh, and I'd look into it. And, And while you might not agree with this, there is something that we can all agree on this morning. And that's when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, all these spiritual gifts will have finished. And we must go back to the bookends. And the children's talk and the illustration I've used in in the past couple of weeks is these bookends. We have bookends in Corinthians 13. They hold the chapter together. The chapter starts with stating how important love is. And the chapter finishes saying the greatest of these is love. And the bookends is love. And so no matter what your feeling is with regard to the gifts, the extraordinary gifts, if they've ceased or if they've continued or whatever that is, that at this moment in time is not the big deal. The big deal at this moment in time is the bookends and love. And the church at Corinth was in a mess because it was putting its emphasis in the wrong place. And its emphasis was on the extraordinary spiritual gifts. And it was a mess because the grace gift of love that's given to all believers at at their conversion was not being practiced. And in some cases, I fear it may have been worse that they didn't know saving love in the first place. And that's a frightening thought. Paul finishes this chapter by driving the Corinthians back to the supremacy of love. But before he underlines love to being a supremacy, he brings in faith and hope into the picture. And so verse 13 reads, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. This whole chapter and and the previous chapter have gone through and suddenly we have faith and hope. And the faith being talked here isn't the faith that we see of in, in chapter 12 as being a miraculous faith or the chapter 13 a faith that moves mountains. This is, this is faith that we all have. This is love that we all can know. This is a hope that we all have. And we need to ask this question, what is the point that Paul is making? Why has Paul brought this in? Why is he rounding up this chapter 13 with so, now faith, hope, and love abide? These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now we've mentioned this before, and it's worth 
us, us recapping and, and going over it again because it will help us understand what is happening here. Uh, the, the, the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, can be put into two categories, if you like. They can be uh, explained as, as common and saving. So the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit can be thought of as common and saving. Sometimes it's called common grace and saving grace. I'm just going to call them common gifts and saving gifts. Now, now common gifts are for both believer and unbeliever. And we've all been blessed by these common gifts this morning. We've woken up. You have breath in your lungs. You can talk. You, you, you've probably had breakfast. We are eating, we're drinking, we, we work, we rest, we enjoy the sunshine, uh, we enjoy creation. Things are not as bad as they could be. And these are the things which everyone enjoys. Whether or not they acknowledge their common gifts of grace from God, they are. And so there's, there's common gifts, and they are a blessing to all mankind. But there are saving gifts. And saving gifts are only for the believer. And, and, and these are gifts from God that pertain to salvation. These are the gifts that make salvation happen and salvation possible. And, and one of these gifts is the Holy Spirit. When we come to know the Lord as the Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And the Holy Spirit gives us saving faith. The Holy Spirit gives us hope. The Holy Spirit enables us to see and know and own and be filled with the love of God. And, and these gifts are given to every believer at conversion. They're not, they're not extra. They're not special. These are what every one of you will have received when you became a believer. Every one of you here who is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You have faith this is a gift that allows you to believe in the love of God who sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross for the sins of His people. And that love and that salvation give you a hope. Faith, hope, and love. And the commonality of faith, hope, and love is the fact that they abide. They abide. There's a, there's, a, there's a big difference. Paul is going the highlighter pen out and he's making a difference in this chapter 13. And he's saying the supernatural. He's saying the extraordinary. He's saying this other stuff passes away. But listen, friends. Listen, Corinthians. Listen, people here at LPC. Faith, hope, and love abide. That they, that they, they continue. There's a stark contrast between faith, hope, and love, and the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts cease. Faith, love, and hope abide. And, and the big point that, that has been made here, the big point that Paul is pointing to, is that faith, hope, and love are, are, are what matter with salvation. They are essential for salvation. But the extraordinary spiritual gifts are not essential for salvation. They're not, not important. They're, they're, they're what the church needs. 
And the church needs, needed the extraordinary to, for their foundation. And the church now needs the, 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 the gifts that God gives his church through his people so that it, the church can be ministered to, so the church can grow, so the church can be established. But what had happened is the Corinthians had lost sight of what really mattered, salvation. And, and they saw the extraordinary gifts as being the all-important and Paul is bringing them back. He's bringing them back to focus on what is really of essential matter to their situation. Back in June, I described the extraordinary gifts, and, and I made this statement. I said that they're, they're often viewed as the more supernatural, the revelatory gifts, the gifts that have brought us uh, God's Word the gifts of the supernatural that were done in Acts that, that showed that the apostles and, and those then were, were filled with the Holy Spirit and showed that they were the authority of God at that moment in time before we had the whole of God's Word. And, and the examples of them are prophecy and miracles and healing and speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. And, and they had a dramatic impact on, on the church. But then last week as we were developing this and looking at this, and I've already stated this this morning, is those extraordinary gifts have ceased to be normative. But today I want to add another point to that. And that this might come as a shock, but this is a really important point for us to hold on to. And that is manifesting or demonstrating or participating in extraordinary gifts is not necessarily a sign of being a true believer. And we see this in both the Old and the New Testament. King Saul was someone with whom the Spirit of God rushed upon. And he prophesied among them. And you can read about that in 1 Samuel 10.10. 10. And so, the apostle, so Saul then, in the Old Testament, he had the Holy Spirit come upon him. And he prophesied with the other prophets. And in chapter 10, if you flick on and move on to 1 Samuel 16.14, you read this. And now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. This should make us sit up and think. Because in, chap in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, we see Paul prophesying. We think, this is amazing. Look, he's made it. He's got it. He is somebody, yes? And then a little while later, we realize that the Spirit departed from him. And he went on, and we know the story about him. And Jesus himself teaches exactly the same lesson on the Sermon on the Mount. And we read about that in Matthew 7 and in verses 21 to 23. He tells us about people who come confidently before the Lord on the judgment day and they're expecting to go into heaven. And so Matthew 7, 21, well, going into 22 reads, On that day, that's the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Listen to what Jesus says. Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That should terrify us. These people who who felt that they were prophesying the name of the Lord, who come to Jesus on the day of judgment, and this is what they're holding on to. This is what they're saying their salvation depends on. This is what they're saying all that matters. They said, look, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I cast demons out in your name. I did many mighty things and mighty works in your name. And Jesus turns round to them and says, I never knew you. Jesus didn't deny that they prophesied in his name. He doesn't deny that they cast demons out in his name. He doesn't deny they did many works. What the big issue was here was Jesus never knew them. They did these things. The Holy Spirit enabled them to do these amazing things. But the tragedy is, as Jesus says, he never knew them. And if that's not bad enough, he then says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They had great spiritual gifts, but they were not true believers. And that's the point. And that's a sombering point. And that's something that was like a a, a shock to the Corinthians, and it should be a shock to us. And we should wake up, and we should ask ourselves some really, really serious questions. Because now is the time to ask these questions, because we are living and we're alive, and we haven't rolled on to that judgment day. On the judgment day, what are you going to say to God? Are you going to say, look, let me into heaven because I did this, I did that, I am this. Because if you are going to heaven saying, I did, I am, this is me, God is going to say to you, I never knew you. That's frightening, friend. That is terrifying. Because your whole eternity is wrapped up in that. If you are here this morning trusting in what you have done, and even if you've raised the dead in Jesus' name and you don't know him, you're not going to heaven. Because you don't know him. Because the big deal is not what you have done or who you think you are. The big deal is do's Jesus know you. And this is part of the warning of 1 Corinthians 13. It's not the whole of 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, but it's part of it. And then we see here, without saving love, even if they possess the greatest of the extraordinary spiritual gifts to speak with tongues of men and angels, 
And if you have not love, you are a resounding gong. And if you prophesy with all prophecy and have all knowledge, and, and, and Paul is ramping it up, all prophetic powers, all understanding, all mysteries, and all faith, so you can remove mountains, not saving faith, but all faith so that you can remove mountains, but you have not love, you are nothing. Even if the Corinthians possessed the greatest of the great extraordinary gifts, the spiritual gifts, but do not have saving love, they're without hope on the judgment day. Friends, this is a question you have to ask yourself. If you don't know faith, hope, and love for yourself, you do not know saving grace. Saving grace is known and seen and manifest in faith, hope, and love. And then the Corinthians would be challenged here, and the Corinthians would be said, what is more important to you? Where does your faith lie? And for some of those Corinthians, their faith lied in what they could do, or what they did do, or what they thought they were doing. And Paul is saying, wake up. This is what matters. This is what abides. This is what makes the difference. Faith, hope, and love. Saving grace is what it's all about. The extraordinary gifts are part of the church and the church's history and part of what the church needs. The spiritual gifts are what the church needs to grow and develop. But what we need for salvation is not gifts, spiritual gifts. What we need for salvation is knowing that we're known by Jesus. And how do we know that? Faith, hope, and love. Verse 13, as I've already said, tells us that these abide. These continue. And if you go back to the original language, we get a bit more of a clue what's going on here. Faith is a strong confidence in, a reliance upon someone or something. So in this situation, it is a confidence and it's a reliance on God and what He has done for us by sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to do what we could not do. We could not live a perfect life, and Christ did. And because Christ lived a perfect life, He didn't deserve the death and the suffering He took on board at the cross. And on the cross, what Christ did was take the punishment of the sins that we deserve. And our faith is believing that that was for us. And that faith brings hope. And that this isn't a hope like, oh, I hope to go and do that tomorrow. We've got no clue what we're going to do tomorrow. But this hope is a hope. And from the original, it was a confident expectation. This is going to happen. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. That is a hope that is going to happen. And where is your hope there? If you have a hope that is fixed in love, if you have a hope that's been given to you through the love that God has for you and the faith that He gives to you, then this hope is steadfast and sure. 
The, the word love here, as we've seen before, is translated from the verb, the verb agape. And it tells of a divine, God-inspired love, a love in action for us. And so for the rest of this morning's sermon, I want the Bible to give commentary on these verses. I want us to, to delve into the wonder and the depth of what this faith, hope, and, and love is. And that's why I had all the readings earlier. Because these readings that we had earlier are a direct commentary on this trinity of words. This truth of faith, hope, and love. This faith, hope, and love that abide. This faith, love, and hope which is the saving grace that we can have and know through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans 5, in verse 1, Paul put it like this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is an explanation. This is a commentary. This is a, a deeper understanding of so now faith, hope, and love abide. And what do we see here? We realize that we have been justified by faith. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And faith is the link between us and God. Faith is the link between us and grace. Our faith doesn't save us. Our faith is the link. It's a strange thing, isn't it? We think that our faith does it. And if you think your faith does it, well, thank you, God, that you think that, but your faith has been given to you. It's a gift from God, so you can't boast. It's a gift. And our faith is the link. And it's through this faith that we've been justified. It's, it's this link that brings grace and it brings peace together. It's been obtained by faith. And, and we stand. We cannot stand in our own right, but we can stand in the grace that we've received through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified. When, when God looks at us, He sees that the price for our sins has been paid by Jesus. And, and the hope of this is the glory of God. You see, friends, everything in this world that we hope for may or may not happen. And everything that we hope for in this world will finish. But the hope that is brought to us here is the hope of the glory of God, which is an eternity. And so this means that while we go through this life and we go through sufferings, and you do, and you are, and it's painful, and it's real, but the hope that we have is not that tomorrow it might work out better. Or as Annie said, tomorrow the sun will come out and we all smile and think, yes, it'll get better tomorrow. That's not where the hope is. The hope is an eternal hope in God because our sins have been dealt with and we're right with the living God. And this hope that we have in Christ is a hope that will never be put to shame. I could write you out a check now. And I could write out a check for, let's say, $1,000. And you could take that to the bank and you would take it with hope 
Yes, hope that it will be cashed tomorrow. And it wouldn't matter your deliberations to that bank clerk, yes, saying, but I hope that Pastor James's check was good. If, if I'm giving something I haven't got, it's pointless. But the Lord Jesus Christ isn't giving something he hasn't got. It's his own righteousness. It's his own perfect standing before God that he has given to you. And so the hope that is brought here is an absolute hope. And this absolute hope is, is, is poured out through God's love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's God's love that's made all this possible. It's God's love that's poured into our hearts. It's God's love that we're changed by. And it's all through the Holy Spirit. And we could continue in that passage for weeks, but we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 12. No, 1 Thessalonians 1, sorry. And verses 2 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians 1. And it reads here, We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mention you in our prayers. Remembering that before our God and Father, your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, for we know, brothers, beloved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. These verses teach us there's this faith and this hope and this love. There's an action here. And yes, we are given faith, love, and hope from God through the Holy Spirit, but we need to act on it. There is a work of faith. There is a labor of love. There is a steadfastness of hope. Our relationship with God is not just an academic. It's a reality. It's a life. It's a living. It's a breathing. And this is what the Corinthians were getting wrong. There wasn't a work of faith and a labor of love and a steadfastness of hope. They were just grasping things in the moment. And we need to be working for things for eternity and for the future. And, and these brothers could do it because they were loved by God. And you and I, believing friend, we can carry on and we can have works of faith and we can have a labor of love and we can have steadfastness of a hope. Not because of who we are, not because of anything we could ever do, but because of God's love. Because he chose us. Before time began, God chose us and we've been brought into his family. And so these things can be a reality for us. And these things can be real for us. And we can know them. And we can know them because of the power of the Holy Spirit that works with us and convicts us and enables us. I know some of you gentlemen go to the gym. And you go to the gym to exercise your physique and make yourself strong and look good. And we need to exercise our faith and make it happen. Bodily exercise profits a little, but getting into God's Word, building on your faith is what we need to be. Love is something that you have to work at. It's not going to happen by accident. Within our church family, there are some un unlovely people. I'm probably one of them. It's difficult to get on with. I don't think so, but it may be the case. And, and there's challenges. And it's not all rose petals and perfection and little fluffy clouds. It's gritty and it's difficult and love has to be worked out. And there's times we get up in the morning and it looks like there is no hope for us. 
The school fees need paying. The rent needs paying. Your friends need paying back. You've got no money. You've got no finances. And you are without hope. But friends, you are with hope because this hope is not about the transient. It's an eternal hope that goes on beyond. And we're loved by God. And because we're loved by God, our salvation is possible. And our salvation happens because we're chosen by God. And it's guaranteed by Him. And it's sure. Left to ourselves, it would just be an impossibility. But we can do it. And we can be it. Because we're not left to ourselves. It is through the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 Paul speaks to the Galatians in verse 5 and says, for through the Spirit, underline it. Throughout these verses we see it's the Spirit empowering it. It's the Spirit that's doing it. Through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. What is the hope of righteousness? If you're expecting your bank balance to be full tomorrow, that is not the hope of righteousness. If you're expecting your healing tomorrow, that is not the hope of righteousness. They are things that God may or may not bless you with, but they're not the big deal. The big deal is this, friends. Our hope of righteousness is we've sinned against God Almighty and Christ has paid the price and we can be seen by God as righteous. It's not by your works. It it talks here about circumcision or uncircumcision and we think, what's that all about? That's works. The Jews would have got all excited about the fact that they did and didn't do things. Your works are not going to save you. It's not about your works. Our hope of righteousness is believing that the Lord Jesus Christ has done it all. And it's only by faith working through love. Faith working through love. The love of God that has been shown to us, poured out to us. And as we know that love, it's a love that we have and demonstrate and show. Faith is what links our hope to righteousness. Our faith is only possible because of God's love. And then Paul, talking to the Ephesians, the pastor is at work. And in verse 14, he's telling these Ephesians, he says, this is the reason I bow on my knees before the Father. He's praying for the Ephesians. And what does Paul pray to the Ephesians in in chapter 3 and 14? He says, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. According to the riches of his glory, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love. And you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Right from the start, the the apostle is praying that the Ephesians would know this through the Holy Spirit. And faith, hope, And love are possible through the Holy Spirit. And it comes about through the the, the dwelling of of the Holy Spirit in your inner being. Isn't that an amazing thought, friends? Those of you that are Christians, the the, the Holy Spirit is in your inner being. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
And it's this Holy Spirit that enables us to believe. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to have faith. It links us to Christ dwelling with us, with the Holy Spirit dwelling with us. God is dwelling with us. And it's an amazing thing. And and this allows us to be rooted and grounded in love. And this love that is, as I said to the, the children, it's a love that didn't have a beginning and does not have an end. And this faith enables us to, to, to learn more about the love of Christ. And so just briefly as we overview those passages of Scripture, I, I trust we get a, a taster and a bigger understanding of, of, of what this is, what this love and, and what this faith and what this hope is. But we're coming to the end of this chapter 13. And, and the question I want to ask ourselves is, what should we be thinking now? What is the take-home? What is the, the so what as we get to the end of this? And the big thing that screams out is you need to be saved. You need to know for yourself this faith, hope, and love. And so that's what you've got to ask yourself. Because on the day of judgment, this is what the question will be. As God looks at you. It's not about what you've done. It's about whether you are known. Are you known by God? Are you known by the Lord Jesus Christ? And you can say to yourself, well, how do I know it? Do you know faith and love and hope for yourself? What are you trusting on this morning? Are you trusting on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because if you're not, you are not saved. That is the only way of salvation. If your hope is in your spiritual gifts, if your hope is in the tithe and the offering that you've dropped, if your hope is in the things that you do or don't do, you have got nothing. The only hope that we can have for eternity is through the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice that can pay the price for our sins. Do you know the love of God? Well, how do you know the love of God? Did Christ come into this world to save you from your sins? You may barely be able to believe it. It may seem too amazing and too wonderful. It may seem too simple and too childlike. But this is the reality of it. God's love for His people sent His Son. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No one here needs to be left out. Anyone here today who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's word. That's God's promise. And God's never failed anyone yet. And never will. And so that's the first question we need to ask ourselves. Are we saved? And if we are saved, friends, we should be blown away by God's love. We should be overwhelmed by it. Have you ever seen footage of the tsunami waves coming in and the destruction that it causes? It's breathtaking, it's incredible, and it's awful. But in a sense, we need to be blown away by that same sort of power that's come over. Guess what God's love is like? It just takes away everything. It blows away everything. It's greater than everything. It's a love that transcends anything we can ever imagine. It's the love that God the Father sent God the Son to this world. And God the Holy Spirit enabled it. And it was all powered by love. And as we are sat here today, we should be blown away by God's love. 
And we should realize our desperate need for God's love in our lives. And just as Paul was praying for the Ephesians, we should be praying for ourselves. We'd want to know the length, the, the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of this love. We want to know more of this love. We should be leaving here this morning saying, I want to know more of that love. And if we want to know more of that love, we, we, we just have to result in the fact that we can only know this love through the Holy Spirit, so we have a desperate need for the Holy Spirit. And friends, we have a desperate need for the Holy Spirit who alone gives us faith, hope, and love. And if you have spiritual gifts on the side, amen and thank God for that, but that's not the big deal. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to God's love, to increase our faith, so our hope will grow. And maybe, maybe, maybe this morning we need to repent. We need to repent of the fact that we haven't seen our great need of the Holy Spirit as the only way of empowering faith, hope, and love in our lives. Because friends, if you're trying to replicate faith, hope, and love in your own lives, your own way, you'll become legalistic, you'll be like a Pharisee, and you will have a miserable life. And the only way to overcome this is to submit ourselves to the God of love and ask the Holy Spirit to come in and give us that faith and that hope and that love and a deeper understanding of it. We, we may need to repent of putting spiritual gifts before the most important. And maybe you've been there. Maybe up until this point you've been grasping and, and thinking that's what it's all about. Friends, it's not. And if that's where you've been, you need to repent. And it may be the other end of the spectrum we need to repent of. Maybe we've been so orthodox and conservative and traditional, we've been pushing the Holy Spirit out and we desperately need the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us that faith and hope and love and to revive us. And as we know these things, we need to demonstrate God's love in our lives. And Paul sums the whole sermon up like this. In chapter 14, in verse 1, the first bit. Pursue love. Pursue love. How do we respond to Corinthians chapter 13? We pursue love. And how do we pursue love? We ask the Holy Spirit to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've come to the end of this chapter 13, forgive us for our failings. And may we see our desperate need of salvation. For those who don't know you yet this morning, may they call upon your name right now. Lord God, for any who have been trusting in themselves, for any who have been thinking their spiritual gifts or whatever uh, is their answer, may they realize this morning that it's of no value. And what they need is to know you in faith and hope through your love. May your love overwhelm them and draw them to yourself. And oh Lord God, those of us that know you as our Lord and Savior, may we be blown away by your love for us. May it radically change our hearts and our lives and our minds. And may we repent of all the things that have gotten in the way and all the things that we've pushed in front of you. 
And may we see that desperate need of God's love in our lives and the desperate need of the Holy Spirit to work in us. And may we repent of all the wrongdoing. And may we come to you and plead with you afresh that you would revive us and pour your Spirit out upon us. And may we be filled of the importance of faith and hope and love. And may we experience that faith and love and hope. May we be transformed by that faith and hope and love. And, O Lord God, as we are transformed, as we are made more Christ-like, may your light shine out into this dark world. And may there be a ripple effect like we cannot imagine. O Lord God, as we leave here, may we pursue your love. We thank you that this is possible. Because before time began, your love has pursued us. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen.